Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. I was born a shotgun in my hands. Behind the gun, I'll make my final stand. Great song, part of the Spotify musical collection of Bernard McGurk who, if many of you have not heard already, passed away late last night with his family. We here at his extended family at WABC were all informed. And then we came together on the morning show, his partner, Sid Rosenberg. And when you do radio, ladies and gentlemen, you end up spending more time with your radio partners at times than with your, your wife, your family, your loved ones. As is common in this business, Sid was absolutely devastated, as was his family. It was like, in one way, as different as they were as personalities, they were bound to one another forever. And then um, he uh, was able to come to the phone at uh, 8.05 this morning, and it was wrenching, wrenching for Sid Rosenberg to be able to relate to everybody about the loss of his very dear friend, his partner for life, even though Bernard is no longer with us. I had the, um, I had to sit along with Frank Morano, our owner-operator John Katsimatidis, and the president of Red Apple, Chad Lopez, as we had to break the bad news. To many of our WABC listeners and others who may have discovered... Uh, Bernard McGurk, a long time ago, as part of the I Miss in the Morning show when he was on the fan, his many appearances with Bill O'Reilly on Fox for his show and other TV appearances throughout his illustrious career. He was someone who left his mark on TV, but especially this thing of ours, radio. And uh, when his uh, lifelong friend Bo Dito called up in the 7 o'clock hour, Bo was just... Almost incapable of talking at moments, he was so overcome with emotion. Now understand, this was not sudden. As many of you listeners to WABC know, for months, for months, he has been struggling with prostate cancer. And then, on top of that, as strong as Bernard McGurk is, and they don't make him any stronger than Bernie, tough Irish guy, 
He got hit with an appendicitis attack while recovering from the prostate cancer and the regular bouts of chemo. His appendix exploded. Now, I happen to know uh, what both are like, prostate cancer and appendicitis attack. When your appendix explodes, I had that happen to me at six years old. Luckily, I was in Howard Beach, uh, right near where the hospital used to be, and that saved my life. If not, I'd have been dead from all the toxins released. So imagine, prostate cancer that has metastasized, an appendicitis attack that has imploded your appendix, and then on top of that, he was hit with pneumonia, which depleted what little of his immune system was left, and yet Bernard McGurk continued to struggle continued to communicate with his colleagues and his extended family here at WABC and through Sid from time to time was able to communicate to all of you he passed away peacefully last night oh what a gargantuan struggle and if there's one thing that we learned from all of this is that you got to guys and gals out there gals or children or grandchildren, you got to force the men in your life to get a PSA test, a simple blood test. Prick your finger. That's all they do. They take a blood test. And then if they think that you might have prostate cancer, they'll go a little further. But it all starts with a simple pricking of your finger. That's all it is, a simple blood test. Rudy Giuliani, our colleague here at WABC, came on with us and lamented about the loss of Bernard McGurk that he had known for many, many years, both on and off the radio. And he talked about how he had waited too long for his uh, prostate cancer designation. And remember, he was ready to take on Hillary Rodham Clinton in what would have been a heavyweight political battle for the U.S. Senate seat vacated by Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and he wasn't able to do it because of the prostate cancer. I didn't get tested at the right time, and I ended up with what Bernie had initially staged for prostate cancer. And boy, what a battle that was. I waited too late. There's nothing There's nothing that should prevent anybody out there from learning from Bernie. you got to get tested, the PSA test. If guys won't do it, ladies, in their life, children in the life of your... your uh, your fathers, you got to drag them to get a simple PSA test. It saves lives. It does. I will tell you, Bernard McGurk, at, at one point when he was broadcasting here in studio with Sid, asked me if I would sit with him in a closed-off studio, and I knew it must have been extraordinarily serious. He was gaunt. It looked like um, already the prostate cancer was uh, ravaging him. Although he confided in me, he goes, um, I think I have prostate cancer. Uh, I've got to go. I've got to. They've got to do an invasive procedure to see how bad it is. And when he started describing to me, ladies and gentlemen, some of the same things that I went through, I knew it may have been too late. It may have already started to metastasize on bone and possibly other organs. And yet he he gritted it. He dealt with it. He went through chemotherapy. And as many of you who listened over the past few months know, there would be weeks that he would be on with Sid from his home and other weeks that he had to recover. I got to tell you, most folks would have been incapable of broadcasting from their homes, from a missile silo, from a hospital room, from anywhere. 
and yet he gritted it out. And the loss of Bernard McGurk cannot be in vain. Because look at this man, physical specimen. He hit you so hard, your mother would feel the vibrations. He's a fighter. He was in top, tip-top shape. Constantly, he'd be going to the gym. He'd be running. He ate well. He slept well. And yet, the prostate cancer took him. So, got to get that PSA test. And his honor, we were talking earlier today, things that we're going to do uh, in commemoration of uh, Bernard McGurk. All of next Tuesday, there will be a complete day of broadcast. Talk about the life and times of Bernard McGurk in all of his facets. Number two, Cardinal Dolan spoke to our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, earlier today and said that we would have a mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral in his honor in which all of you will be invited. We'll obviously update you. You can go to our WABCradio.com website. You can see news and information about Bernard McGurk's passing. Obviously, whatever funeral arrangements are made, you can see the video of Sid Rosenberg's presentation at our 100th anniversary at Cipriani's. It was a great event. A thousand people were there to, to, to honor the 100-year anniversary since we were just WJZ in Newark a century ago. And he broke down in the midst of his presentation to honor his very dear friend, his partner, Bernard McGurk, and Everybody was up on their feet, applauding. It was a standing ovation. People were crying, crying, because they knew that the worst might be at stake. But there's some things you need to know about Bernard McGurk. We are able to go at great length earlier today. If you missed any of it, you can go to the podcast at wabcradio.com. That's wabcradio.com. Four hours. And we did all kinds of retrospectives. I can only share with you some of those. Bernard McGurk was the heart and soul and the backbone of the Imus in the morning show for so many years at the fan and then eventually on TV and then eventually when they came to WABC. People don't know this, but he kept the uh, mutiny on the bounty from taking place. Imus was irascible at times, impossible to deal with, like the Wizard of Oz, screaming, hooting, and hollering creating division in the ranks of maybe one of the greatest cast ensemble teams ever assembled in the history of talk radio in the mornings. And he would have to assuage them and calm them down as Imus at times would rant and rave. The other thing that most people didn't know is that when you thought that Imus was this uh, great reader of books, consuming book after book after book and then interviewing the authors or interviewing personalities and quoting books. It was always Bernie, as everybody knew. He read the books. He came up with the lines. He came up with the questions. He fed it to Imus. And Imus, on so many occasions, just wanted to kick Bernie to the curb. Remember, Bernie was a man who would take risks and challenges at the height of the invasion of Iraq by Bush 43 and Dick Cheney. Bernie, and Bernie alone stood up and said, no, this is an outrage. This cannot be done. And remember, this was a time when John McCain would be a regular featured guest, generals and others. Some people were actually suggesting that Bernard McGurk was a traitor against the United States. And yet, look at all these years later, our own Greg Kelly, who so honorably served 
as a Marine pilot, lieutenant colonel, flying over Iraq himself, said, what a waste. What a waste. And yet here was Bernard McGurk saying it and jeopardizing his entire background, his entire career. The lone voice out there in a medium that was hostile to that, that kind of an attitude. Secondarily, you all need to know that whereas Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg have turned the morning show into the most listened morning show in the history of WABC, whether it was spinning stacks of wax top 40 before or now in our talk radio mode, no doubt about it. You look at the analytics, it's all there for everybody to see. That the man that he helped uh, create and keep afloat, especially when he began to degenerate at the end of his career, Imus, did not want Bernard McGurk to have an opportunity to have a show of his own. No. Did not want that. And it fought, fought management at Cumulus and said, I don't want Bernie McGurk to have his own show, and I don't want him to be paired up with Sid Rosenberg. Remember, it was going to be mid-morning, right after Imus in the morning. Bernard was going to not only produce that show, participate in that show, and then finally get a chance of his own. And he said, I got to do it with Sid Rosenberg. And against all odds, I mean, the deck was stacked against bringing Sid Rosenberg back. I remember because I was right in the middle of it. He persevered. Bernie said, I want Sid back here from Florida. We can do great talk radio. And they were mid-mornings, and they were fantastic. And Chad Lopez president of Red Apple, defied the suits at Cumulus, defied some of his fellow staff and did not sign the paperwork that would have had Mike Lupica as the talk show host in mid-mornings replacing Geraldo Rivera. No. He said, we're going to use Bernie and we're going to bring up Sid Rosenberg and put them back together exactly how they had hoped. And then from there, eventually, as Imus uh, went into the sunset himself, they did the morning show, an outstanding job. And you should all know after that, that horrible situation that afflicted their show, when the Scarlet Knight female basketball team said that they were so maligned, so degraded, so humiliated, they couldn't carry on with their lives. When friends of Bernard McGurk and Imus and the crew turned on them viciously, when Al Slim, Shady Sharpton, and Barack Obama and others threatened to boycott any radio station they they ended up at after they were fired from the fan and put on the shelf. Bernard McGurk was offered a dream of a lifetime to host the morning show at WRKO in Boston, the equivalent of the WABC of New York. I'll never forget, I was there a week after they were going to have Bernard McGurk do the show with Thomas Finneran, who had been the Speaker of the Massachusetts House of Representatives, the Democratic leader of Massachusetts, and Tom said they brought him up, they signed him up, and then they were threatened with boycotts, threatened by Sharpton and company. And again, a man who grew up in the projects, remember, Bernard McGurk grew up in the Monroe Housing Projects, one of the few white families living with blacks and Hispanics. A Hayes man, he went to Cardinal Hayes, a integrated high school. A man who eventually ended up driving livery cab up in Yonkers, Teddy Square, the Schlobein Projects, Mumford Gardens, No Dine Hill, always with black and Hispanics, more so than any, almost any other white guy or gal in the world, to be maligned and labeled a racist. Just added more insult and injury, and he never complained. 
He just sucked it up and he kept moving. And he got together with Sid Rosenberg to make the greatest morning show in the history of WABC. Everyone needs to know that. From the slum of Shaolin, 36 Chambers, Wu-Tang. I don't know if this was uh, one of Bernard McGurk's favorites, but he would not have been out of place in Park Hill on Staten Island Stapleton, West Brighton, O'Marinus Harbor. He was a project kid born and raised in the hood. The reason I'm playing Wu-Tang Clan, you know, no shout-outs here, Kevin Joyce, your favorite, Rizza, Jizza, Raquan, Ghostface Killer, Capadonna, Met the Man, Red Man, ODB, Little Jesus, but no white man. No white man, right? We'll get to that uh, momentarily. Yeezy uh, and his uh, White Lives Matter. But then Park Hill, Stapleton, and uh, a while back, they had a street dedicated in their honor. They all came out there to dedicate it. It was Tarjay Street, Vanderbilt Avenue, right in the shadow of Park Hill. It's called Wu-Tang Clan Land. Enough of that. Get out of here with that. We, we set it up. But you know how close that is to uh, Homeport? And where Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has said that he wants to bring in that ocean liner, you could actually see it from Park Hill. Go up on the rooftop of Stapleton Park Hill. You'll be able to see it. But before we get to that, Wu-Tang, because so many of their members will be smoking that herb, those blunts up on stage, it was like a purple haze, oftentimes would be in a drug-induced psychosis, and they'd be very, very conspiratorial Almost to the point where they could have been featured on Alex Jones' InfoWars. Our mayor, Eric Adams, with no plan, is giving us all vertigo in dealing with this, depending on what you want to call them, migrant, immigrant, or as I call them, illegal alien issue. Two more buses arrived this morning as they were pounding the Greyhound coming in, courtesy one bus of Greg Abbott, who uh, Eric Adams hates, despises, loathes. Calls a racist, but then his very dear amigo, the Democratic mayor of El Paso, also sent a busload of Venezuelans, and those he welcomes with open arms. I'm trying to figure out what the difference is. This guy gives me vertical. So everything that Eric Adams has done now has not worked. Look at it. He put him up in the Milford Plaza starting at $150 a night. It's now $700 a night. They're looking for more no-tell, motel, Holiday Inn Expresses, Super 8s, Motel 6s, you name it, to house this massive onslaught of illegal aliens. He came up with the uh, harebrained idea of putting a tent in Orchard Beach in the parking lot to house 1,000 single able-bodied men from Venezuela, even AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, who is the congresswoman of that area, said, hey, schmuck, fudge, drainage. Forget the fact that we disagree. There's no drainage yet. Oh, no, Eric Adams, pretentious, obstinate, 
uh, all-knowing. He's the jack-of-all-trades, master of none, said, no, 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 we're putting the tent up. And at great expense, they put up a tent. And they were just about ready to connect the water, the heat, all the ancillary items that you need to make the tent livable, especially as we go into the late fall, early winter. And then the heavy rains in the aftermath of a terrible Ian, the hurricane, came through and it was a flood. And so now all of a sudden he said, I'm going to pivot and ship. We got to pivot and ship. So imagine me, arch enemy of AOC, all out crazy, agreed with her, whether you were on the left or the right. That was a crazy idea. So now he's come up with an even crazier idea to put that tent with half the number of single able body Venezuelans illegals, 500, out on Randall's Island. Randall's Island, again, not sufficient in terms of the drainage. He's been told that by the engineers, the parts department. Well, what do they know? I'm Eric Adams. I'm an engineer. You know, I'm a parts department parkie. I know everything. He knows nothing about nothing. He's giving me and all of you vertigo. Everyone is criticizing this move. It's right near Kirby Psychiatric for the criminally insane. It's next to a homeless shelter for single able-bodied men. It's next to a mica shelter for the most severe emotionally disturbed persons. All of these men are able to come and go as they please as long as they're back in their barracks by 10 o'clock at night. If not, they lose their bed, but they can still keep coming back. There's drug rehab units. There's all kinds of locations out there that are going to be double trouble for this uh, new tent. Tent city for the illegals coming in from Venezuela. And by the way, the state troopers have a barrack there in Randall's Island, right underneath the Triborough Bridge. And they have warned the governor. They said, Gov, you put that tent up. When the other homeless and emotionally disturbed and the drug addicts see that the Venezuelans are getting their swag bags, they're getting their cell phones, they're getting money, they're getting things that regular American homeless people can only dream of. They're going to bum rush that tent. They're going to abuse these Venezuelans. They're going to take their stuff. And so now, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb is sending a National Guard unit in to protect the Venezuelans. This is absolutely crazy. And then that half-brained idea that was backed briefly, I might add, by uh, City Councilman Joe Borelli, the South Shore Staten Island. But after I pimp-slapped him around a few times on WABC and on Staten Island, he's come to his senses. I was ready to name the Norwegian cruise liner that would be berthed at Homeport right there in the North Shore, the SS Joe Borelli. But clearly, yes, I like that. And clear the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Coe, the Straits of the Barrazano. Thank God to Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. She smacked around all the Republicans on Staten Island. They're all in unity against the ocean liner. The Democrats are ducking for cover. Max Rose and the others who are running for local office, they don't want to answer that question. They don't want to defy the mayor. Again, who is giving us all vertigo? So now, what is the mayor saying? In league with Browser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., which was the first to receive the illegal aliens. By the way, another 50 were dropped off at the Naval Observatory. Late last night, the residents of uh, Giggles, (laughs) Vice President Harris, who's supposed to be the czarina in charge of border security. Uh, As I mentioned, two buses that arrived this morning here in the Port Authority. Well, listen to the conspiratorial nature of the mayor of the city of New York, who sort of run out of excuses. 
So now, in a sign that I would say uh, Kevin Jost is the equivalent of, what could I, I call this? If we go back in time, I would say that this would be the equivalent of the seven signs of the apocalypse. Yes, this guy is flipped out. Eric Adams, I predict, will next be on Alex Jones in Four Wars. I don't know if it's black mayors or if it's just going to uh, northern cities, but something is wrong. I, I mean, we have uh, thousands of cities in this country. Why are we specifically targeting uh, Washington, Chicago, and New York? Uh, th- there's something wrong with that, and I believe there needs to be a national response to give the assistance uh, to these three important cities in our country. You believe that? Listen, listen, the conspiracy, COVID, monkeypox, crime, housing, and now illegal aliens, it's all part. That's five. That's five of the signs of the apocalypse. What are the two others? Eric Adams is totally now spinning this web of conspiratorial Alex Jones bullfeathers talk. Keep in mind, these are three cities where we have black mayors. This is undermining our economy and is undermining our attempt to recover in our cities that we're already dealing with crises from COVID to monkeypox to crime to housing. And I think it's something that we need to be very clear on. These three cities were targeted. And I have a conversation this afternoon with the mayors of the the other two cities. These three cities were targeted. What? Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, a federal city, happens to be called Chocolate City, USA, per capita, per person, has the highest percentage of uh, blacks in the population. Of course, they've had black mayors. Remember? Going back to, um, who was that mayor there? Was laying up with that hook in there, smoking uh, uh, rocks of crack cocaine uh, in his pipe, beaming themselves up to Scotty. Come on. Such nonsense. And then talking about New York City with a black mayor. Well, again, remember, Eric Adams said he's the new face of the Democratic Party, right? And then, of course, there's Mayor Lightfoot. But anyway, what what Eric Adams doesn't understand is instead of blaming this on evil white GOP governors from red states, he might as well just say it, uh, Abbott, DeSantis, Ducey, and others. He ought to blame himself because he is the hip-hop mayor. I mean, think about it. We have a hip-hop mayor. That's right. He's the hip-hop mayor. And what does he do all night long? Oh, that's uh, that's Mayor Lightfoot uh, doing her TikTok video in which she's making a fool out of herself. I mean, there's some people you would say to yourself, hey, please. Come on, act your age. It's unbecoming. Beetlejuice is there in her van sneakers. Not even wearing Yeezys. Not even wearing Yeezys. So she's making a fool out of herself. And then, of course, our mayor, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. He makes a fool out of himself every night going to the Zero Bond private club where he gets wine-dined and pocket-lined. Nah, let it go, let it go. It ain't happening, it ain't happening. Let it go. I don't want to hear this uh, This Atlanta, this Atlanta. Man. We'll, we'll just do it without any cuts. Let's just do it without any cuts. Next time, tell our crew, we do maintenance in the off hours. Right? Nine to five, prime time, baby. Number one new stock station in the nation. My on my. I got to deal with this. So let's get back on track. The mayor of the city of New York says that this is uh, 
a perception of all the crime that we're seeing. A perception, he says, again, that the subways are relatively safe. So he continues to hop on that. And then he has his uh, deputy mayor in charge of patrol, Corey, who is his lapdog. And he's making all the public appearances, as he has done with Neil Cavuto recently and on other networks, in which he is saying is a perception of crime, a perception of violence. And when Neil Cavuto recently said, well, don't you have a depletion in the ranks? Don't you have men and women in the police department who are leaving in large numbers, not only retiring, retiring early and leaving to other departments because they're being lured out of New York City? He said, no, that's a misperception. So we have all of these so-called misperceptions, and then we actually look at the crime blotter, and we see crime after crime after crime taking place in the subway. Let's look at this accused subway shovel with a lengthy uh, rap sheet. Here it was. He came in front of this guy, 25-year-old man who was waiting at the 14th Street Union Square station, who then... Gets pushed into the tracks. Luckily, a sixth train was not coming. It turned out that this was a Bronx homeless guy emotionally disturbed. We could have almost predicted what was going to take place. He has more than 40 prior busts and was ordered held on bail by a Manhattan judge. Oh, my God. He was held on bail. Clarence Anderson, police uh, believe, was actually claiming that he was guided by spirits that were telling him that he had to shove this guy, shove it, right into the tracks. And it happens again and again and again. Then we see in another case involving the subways, of which there's been an 80% increase in crime in the subways. Police have nabbed the homeless man in the fatal subway stabbing of Brooklyn dad, Tommy Bailey. Tommy Bailey, I know well, not personally, but because of his reputation, he was called a Canarsie legend, and he certainly was. Born and raised in Canarsie, he played for the Canarsie Chiefs, the Canarsie high school team. He was a star on the football team when they went on to win the PSAL championship, and he was such a good baseball player. He had multiple scholarship offers from across the nation. He ended up becoming a welder and raising a family, and becoming a real role model in Canarsie. He was on the southbound L train at about 9 o'clock at night, the Atlantic Avenue station. Any of you who have ever been there, you know how high in the sky it is and how down below it has become a refuge now of halfway houses, of drug rehab centers. There are addicts that are shooting up on a regular basis, and there are homeless shelters galore. It is a a DMZ, a no-man's land, especially if they come up to rob you. There is no escape off the Atlantic, uh, Atlantic Avenue station. It's right after Broadway Junction. He got into a dispute with, again, a homeless guy, emotionally disturbed, who slashed his jugular, and he bled out. And you say to yourself, ladies and gentlemen, this continues on and on and on in the subways. And all our elected officials can say is it is a perception of what is happening in the city of New York on the trains. And then finally, we saw the woman who was savagely attacked at the um, Howard Beach station of the A train. In fact, we brought that to everybody's attention 
The video had been embargoed by the MTA, the money-taking agency. It had been embargoed for seven days. Luckily, someone who worked for the MTA in New Howard Beach shot me the link to that video, and I was able to share it with so many people. It went viral. And then there was no denying it. You saw this black man wearing these uh, orange glow-in-the-dark sneakers go chasing a guy out of the uh, A-train and a woman. The woman happened to be a worker from JFK, five children coming in from Far Rockaway at 5 o'clock in the morning. He failed to catch the guy. He had already hit the woman in the head with a bottle on the train. He smashed her against the uh, token booth, of which there were no attendants in the token booth, none whatsoever. The Port Authority is blaming the MTA money-taking agency. The money-taking agency, which takes our money, is blaming the Port Authority. They're just pointing fingers at one another. Bottom line, there were no police. She was um, asked to come on the Sean Hannity Show, Fox News Channel at night. She did a magnificent job explaining the ordeal she went through. She may still lose her eye. And she kept insisting to Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, that this is not a perception of rising crime. It is not a perception of an unsafe subway. It is real. And in fact, she said, I want to go back to work, but I'm afraid to take that subway any longer. Meantime, in league with that, out in Astoria, where the Guardian Angels are giving out flyers to all the merchants, uh, telling them that they need to call 911, not follow that loony kazuni from parts unknown, their city councilwoman, Caban, who has actually told the merchants that they should never, ever, ever, ever call 911. They should only call 311, even if they have to wait a month to Sundays. Never call the police under any circumstance. And now all of a sudden we find out that over the weekend a series of threats was made against her, not her personally, but on the phone of a message machine at her headquarters in Astoria, her city councilmanic headquarters, which is almost always empty. And who did they call? They called the police, 911. So it's do as I say, not as I do. Again, the guardian angels are throughout Astoria today, Dittmars and Steinway giving out flyers. Letting all of you know, whether you're left, right, or in between, if you have a problem, you got to call the police. Look at what happened to that hero lieutenant from the fire department who was laid to rest yesterday, Allison Russo, by her mother and her father who blasted Eric Adams and blasted Tish James for not providing for public safety. Make sure her, her death is not in vain, savagely stabbed 20 times. By, again, an emotionally disturbed person who is now under psychiatric uh, observation and has been charged with multiple murder charges. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Number of reasons why I'm playing this song, Lazy Mary, by Lou Monty. Number one, with the passing of our colleague, this is an Irish wake. Remember Bernard McGurk? Uh, it's not like an Italian wake. It's an Irish wake. So there's a little bit of celebration here because Bernard McGurk was a tried and true Met fan. 
And this is a song that was played, played during the seventh inning stretch of the old Shea. I don't know if they played at City Field. They do. Well, I, you're not catching me at City Field. So uh, on a day where Bernard McGurk has passed to the hereafter, there's no doubt if given a choice, which cap are you going to wear when you walk through the pearly gates? The interlocking N and Y of the New York Yankees or the Mets, he put on that Met cap proudly. And he always defended the Mets, and I'd always razz him in the hallway, particularly had he been here in the studios uh, over the uh, past few days when uh, Jimmy Carter was doing his chop-chop at the age of 98 in Plains, Georgia, wearing an Atlanta Braves cap with his wife, Rosalind, who's 95, longest-living president. And say, hey, what was the best president, president you had on your birthday? He said, oh, the three-game sweep of the Mets by the Atlanta Braves. Oh, yeah. And then even Elton John celebrating in Nashville. Who knew that he was a uh, Atlanta Braves fan? Broke into a, the middle of a recital, and he said, Oh, I just want to let everybody know my beloved Atlanta Braves swept the Mets. So uh, I know Bernie would have given me grief because he always defended his beloved Mets. But we're also playing uh, Lazy Mary by Lou Monty. On behalf of what will be transpiring here tomorrow in advance of Columbus Day on Monday and the various parades and celebrations over the weekend, we'll have a number of uh, known Italian-Americans gathered here in tribute to maintaining the traditions of Christopher Columbus that he be taught in school that his statues remain without them being taken down. And that there be the parade each and every year here and in places throughout the tri-state area. And that it be the holiday that it has always been. Now, look, you want Indigenous Peoples Day? That's fine. You have an Indigenous Peoples Day. But don't take away from the Italian-American traditions. So as we count down, there are a number of parades of significance in the five boroughs. Last year... Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, got a total pass from the Italian-American community and all their mockers and leaders. He did not march in the annual parade up Fifth Avenue. He's supposed to be the mayor of all the people. Let's see if he marches on Monday. I'll be bird-dogging him because I'm broadcasting live from the parade site along Fifth Avenue starting from 12 to 1. So normally, if you're an elected official, you like to be at the front. You like to whiz through, you like to finish, and you like to go on your way. So I'll be bird-dogging him and other elected officials who refuse to answer whose side they're on. It's a growing number of Democrats, liberals, progressives, Democrats, socialists of America who want to wipe out the holiday, want to tear down the statues, and want to do away with the parades. So for all of you, I hope to see you Saturday in Bensonhurst on 18th Avenue, for the annual Christopher Columbus Day Parade, that's where Brooklyn has kept the tradition of Christopher Columbus alive. Then Morris Park in the Bronx on Sunday, and then the big parade on Monday up Fifth Avenue. But also to the many out there who have to be vigilant during this holiday to protect the four Columbus statues in the city, the main one in Columbus Circle. Then there's a Columbus statue outside of Brooklyn Borough Hall, the Brooklyn State Supreme Court. There's the statue most vulnerable in Astoria, in the middle of AOC All Out Crazy Land, the Democratic Socialists of America, and the bust of Christopher Columbus in Belmont on Arthur Avenue in the park, 
The, yep, the Albanians are taken care of as they fought off Black Lives Matter two years ago when they tried to desecrate it. And out there in Staten Island, you did away with your parade down Newdorf Lane. You should restart the parade. You should get the statue from Syracuse that took it down and mothballed it. And to my friends and even my enemies in Howard Beach, what happened to the traditional Christopher Columbus parade you had every year up Cross Bay Boulevard? We need to resurrect it, revive it, and maintain the tradition. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.